given every signal. He leaned too close at council table, looked too long at her legs. Once he touched her knee, bending over to retrieve his fountain pen, and her response was so immediate it surprised even her. The memory made her feel crazy, unhinged. We'll go to the Swan Fountain for the victory celebration, Steer said. We'll play footsies just like old times. After that, I'm booked to St. Bart's on a Learjet that'll take off from Atlantic City if Philly is snowed in. I love the beach, don't you? Hate the water, but love the beach. Want to come? Can't. I have work to do. Marta reached for the door of the interview room. What work? You just proved me innocent. Right. Now I'm going to prove you guilty. Steer chuckled behind tented fingers. <laughs> There's no evidence. There must be. And you'll find this evidence before the jury comes back? By noon tomorrow? What makes you think they'll be out that long? Marta said. She yanked the door open to the sound of Steer's laughter, but as furious as she was, she knew it didn't matter who was laughing first. Only who was laughing last. What are you wearing? Steer asked into the flip phone he'd gotten by bribing a guard. I'm in a meeting, she said brightly, loud enough for the people around her to hear. He imagined her in the meeting, every inch the professional woman, at least on the outside. I need you to do something. Get to the file and destroy it. What? Why? Richter knows. That's interesting, she said her tone even. Steer knew she wouldn't get rattled no matter what. She was the only woman he knew who kept her wits about her, and that was why Steer wanted her. Well, one of the reasons. She knows I killed him intentionally. Nothing else. Drop everything. Get the file. Today. But we may need that information. Don't fuck me. Do it. Next, Steer punched in the number of the man he introduced as his driver, Bobby Bogosian. Hey. Bogosian answered the beat quick as a Doberman at heel. What up? My lawyer just left the courthouse. Keep an eye on her, Steer said without further explanation. Got it, Bobby said. I need her until the trial's over. What about after? Then I don't need her anymore. Understood? Sure. Steer pressed the end button with satisfaction. He felt back in control. He had unleashed Bogosian, and the man would do the job. Steer considered the situation. He had slipped with Marta, but recovered and was back on plan. He just sent out protections and was hiding his distance, as Sun Tzu would have put it. Be near, but appear far, the Chinese general wrote. Sun Tzu, an expert in military strategy, was one of the few men Steer admired, and when Steer read Sun Tzu's book, he realized he was already doing the things Sun Tzu had written. Steer knew instinctively that his new enemy, Marta Richter, could never achieve victory over him, even though she was free to move and he was confined to a prison cell. She knew how to win a courtroom battle, using words and papers as weapons. But Elliot Steer knew how to win a war. Christopher Graham stood at the window of the large modern jury room, resting his calloused hands deep in the pockets of his jeans and watching the snow. The jurors in the Steer case had been told a snowstorm was predicted, though they weren't allowed to watch the news because of the sequestration. No TV, newspapers, or radios for two months. The jurors complained about it all the time, except for Christopher. He didn't miss his VCR. He missed the horses whose shoes he reset and the money he'd make. The last thing he missed was his wife, Lainey.
Okay, settle down, everybody, settle down, Ralph Mary called out. He was a bluff, king-sized man who called himself an ad exec, though the jurors sensed correctly that Ralph was never any type of exec, but some sort of advertising salesman, his life fueled by scrambling and scotch. He waved the other jurors into their accustomed chairs around the rectangular table. First order of business, Ralph said, is we elect a foreman. Ain't you going to be the foreman, Ralph? asked Nick Tulio. He was the last juror impaneled, an aged Italian from South Philly. Sure, but we got a vote on it, Ralph said. Nick looked cheapish. Okay, sorry, what do I know? I never did this before. He hated this whole thing. He wished the lawyers never picked him in the first place. He wished his wife, Antoinetta, was here. Not foreman, four-person. You have to say four-person, corrected Megan Garrity, a blue-eyed twenty-year-old with coarse red hair shorn short. Megan was one of three jurors with any college experience. She had spent a year at Drexel University before she quit to design web pages and write code. I want to be the four-person, she said. You? Ralph shot back in mock disbelief. His large hand flew to the chest of his khaki shirt. It was Ralph's favorite shirt because it looked like the one General Schwartzkopf wore in Desert Storm. Megan for foreman? No way. No women and no redheads. No Irish Mick redheaded women. Everybody agree? Ralph smiled and so did the others, except Kenny Manning. Kenny's glare was as dark as his skin, and he sat at the opposite head of the table, his muscular arms folded over his broad chest. Kenny hated Ralph's jokes. Let's get this thing over with, Kenny said. I've been here forever. And the snow's coming down hard, said Ray Johnson, juror seven. Ray called himself Lucky Seven and sat at the end of the conference table next to Kenny Manning and Isaiah Fellers. The group of three black men routinely ate, sat, and rode the bus together. If we're going to elect a four-person, it should be a secret vote, said Mrs. Walbaum. She was a retired English teacher at a city high school, and she knew how to keep order in a classroom. Martin Fogel, sitting next to her, rolled his eyes. Thank you, resident expert and everything. Mr. Fogel was a watchmaker who wore steel topped by focals in a thin white shirt. The woman is amazing. You need a plumber? She's a plumber. You want dance lessons? She does the foxtrot. Mrs. Walbaum pursed her lips. Don't start up, Mr. Fogel. Everybody knows a secret vote is more official, just like with the regular elections. Next to her, Gisela Williams shifted impatiently in her seat. Gisela was black, a heavy-set bookkeeper still unhappy over missing Christmas vacation for this trial. She planned to go to South Carolina to see her new grandbaby, who was growing like a weed. Let's just get to the voting. Secret public makes no difference to me. Let's just vote. Heads were nodding around the table, even the two jurors who never participated. Christopher turned from the window. I'd like to be the foreman, Christopher said. And because he spoke so rarely, each face looked up at him in surprise. Good for you, Christopher, said Mrs. Walbaum, pleased that the young man was finally coming out of his shell. Kenny glanced over his folded arms at Ralph, who nodded back, agreeing tacitly to at least a temporary truce. Okay by me, Ralph said. You be the foreman, Chris. Thank you. I appreciate your confidence in me. Christopher felt good. He had a job now, a purpose. He'd do everything in his power to persuade them to acquit, and fast. He'd take care of her like he did his horses, quietly and without fanfare or thanks. He'd see to it. For Marta. We'll take a vote to start things off. Everybody write down what they think the verdict should be. Don't put your name or anything. It's secret. 
Their heads were bent for only five minutes, and they handed their papers in eagerly as kids on the last day of school. Christopher opened the last piece of folded-up legal paper, and his face betrayed the happiness he felt inside. Another vote for innocent, he announced. It's nine to two to find Steer innocent. Only one person abstained. Nick didn't know what he stained, but he knew he was the only one who had written, I don't know yet, on his paper. Nick was relieved Christopher had figured out a way to have a secret ballot. By four o'clock, a foot of snow had accumulated on the sidewalks of Philadelphia, and the brand-new offices of Rosado and Associates were empty. The secretaries had gone home early, and only two associates were left, waiting for the jury to come back. <sighs> we blew it, said one of the young lawyers, Mary Denunzio. She slumped over the conference table and buried her face in a hard pillow of correspondence. We blew it, and there's no going back. There's nothing we can do about it. The trial? No way. He walks easy. Judy Carrier was spinning in the swivel chair on the other side of the conference table. A native Californian, Judy was tall and raw-boned, with a face shaped like a dinner plate and features that registered as more honest than plain. I mean, our life. We blew our life. We had it made at stalling, but no. We wanted to be on our own. Now we work for a psychopathic bitch, Marta Erect. Judy's chair slowed to a stop facing the large window, which was dotted with snowflakes. Look at that, she exclaimed and bounded to the window. To the east, the downtown office buildings, the gallery, and the United States courthouse looked like they'd been dumped with confectioner's sugar. Isn't it beautiful? Mary blinked sleepily on the correspondence pillow. They said it'll go to four feet. What a mess. It's exciting. Judy pressed her large hands against the surface of the window. The first big snow we've had this year. Isn't it a neat feeling? I have no feelings. I'm too tired to have feelings.